Hey everyone, this episode is a teaching of Hebrews 4 that I did through a ministry called Gospel-Centered Recovery at Sailorville Church in Des Moines, Iowa. Gospel-Centered Recovery exists to help men and women overcome enslaving addictions through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about Gospel-Centered Recovery or Sailorville Church, I will have a link to both down in the show notes. All right, well, as always... Um, my absolute privilege to be here. Um, still love teaching at GCR, even after all these times. Um, glad that people saw my name on the docket and still showed up. Um, and, you know, even in the midst of um, just all of us, right, living in a world of, of loss, of pain, of suffering, um, we can come together and just rejoice in the beauty of Jesus Christ. And I really hope we, we end this time. Um, it's going to be a heavy time, but uh, are still able to just rejoice in, in who Jesus is and what he's done. So tonight, I am going to keep it simple. We're going to talk about salvation, right? Just easy peasy. You all have heard it all the time. Um, but I can't make it easy. So it'll, it'll I hope, still be a challenge um, and an encouragement to, to everyone here. So we're just going to be going through Hebrews chapter 4, uh, just the first 13 verses. So we'll just dive right into it. If you don't have a Bible, um, the, uh, the verses of everything that I read will be up on the screen. So we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, which says, therefore. All right, we already have to stop, right? Uh, if, you've, if you've been here uh, for a few of my other teachings, you know that when we start off with therefore, we need to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because therefore is a critical word in the English language and even in the Greek that this was translated from. What it basically means is because of what I've just said, because of what we just learned, because of the truth that was just presented, now we can understand this. So before we can even move forward, we're going to need to back it up just a little bit to what David discussed last week. So we're going to dial back just a couple verses uh, to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 to 19, just to get a running start into tonight's topic. Uh, And so it said, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now, as David uh, had talked about last week, this is talking about how uh, God had, had rescued Israel from Egypt, had brought them through all kinds of trials, through all kinds of impossible situations. God had showed himself time and time again that he didn't just come through most of the time, he came through every time. The only failure in any part of Israel's history is always on Israel's part. And so finally, God brings them to the land that he has promised for them, that he has set aside for them. And he says to them, you're going to go there, enter, and I will conquer it through you. In Israel, they go in, they send some spies, um, and the the spies come back. There's 12 of them, 10 of them say, people are there, are huge, they are strong. I mean, we're like ants in front of them, or we're like grasshoppers in front of them. There's no way we can do this. And so all of Israel is like, you're right, there's no way we're going to do this. Not even God can do it. And so Israel refused to disobey. And that's what this is calling us back to, is it's calling us back to this idea that these people who couldn't enter Canaan, uh, this promised land, the only reason they couldn't enter, it wasn't because they weren't good enough, it wasn't because they didn't do all the right things, their problem was purely and simply unbelief. And so the writer of Hebrews is calling his, his very Jewish audience back to a story they already understood, so that he can then lead us into a much deeper truth that we're going to talk about tonight. So understanding that, so therefore, because we know that Israel could not enter the promised land because of their unbelief, therefore, let us fear, 
lest, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you seem to have fallen short of it. Now, we need to understand who this writer is talking to. Because a lot of times when we see um, a, a passage like we're going to talk about, that's talking about salvation and not being saved, we often think, oh yeah, it's for those new visitors at GCR, those new visitors at church. My coworker who's a self-proclaimed atheist who's never even touched a Bible before. It's very easy for us to assume that when we're seeing messages of salvation in the Bible, it's purely aimed at people who have never heard before. But the book of Hebrews is written to people who probably knew the Bible, especially the Old Testament, better than anybody here. These were Jewish people who were well acquainted with the reality of who God was. They were, based on the other language, these were, we assume, a church or saved Christians who used to follow the Jewish faith. They were well aware of who God was, of what the Bible said, of who Jesus Christ was. Now, why I'm pointing that out is that notice what he says. He says that we need to fear lest, while a promise remains of entering God's rest, any of you, any of you people who claim to be saved, may seem to fall short of it. This is going to be a hard message because what I'm going to ask everyone here to do is the same thing that I had to do in preparing for it. I want you to set aside all your assumptions, all your history, all your confidence. I want everyone here to truly examine their salvation. I don't want anyone to sit here and say, yes, I know I'm saved because I can remember the day I was saved. I've got it written in my Bible. I I feel like I'm a Christian, so I don't need to examine myself. I'm going to ask you to do what this writer was asking his audience to do, is to examine your salvation. And I'm not just talking to people who are, you know, here from the refuge and things like that. I'm asking David to do it. I'm asking Lori to do it. I want everyone here to really and honestly examine your salvation and say, are the things that I am putting my trust in going to save me? Or am I just making assumptions? Am I going to miss entering into God's rest, just like these Israelites who spent their whole lives seeing God failed to enter his rest. So we're going to move on to verse 2 here. It says, For indeed, we have had good news proclaimed to us, just as they also. But the word that was heard did not profit those who were not united with faith among those who heard. Now, some of your translations may say we have had the gospel proclaimed to us. Uh, Tonight, I am using what's called the Legacy Standard Bible. I'll be honest, the reason I chose it tonight was purely to save myself like 10 minutes of explaining why gospel is not the best word here. Um, so what the writer is going to be doing is he is going to be making uh, comparisons and contrasts. So he is saying here that we have had good news proclaimed to us, just like Israel in the past, when they were told that they could enter the promised land, they had good news given to them. So their good news is that they could enter a physical rest, a physical land that was promised to them, that was, you know, the the Bible says it was flowing with milk and honey, right? It was a land of richness. It was going to be their land of peace and rest because that is where their God was sending them. Our good news today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, We'll get into it much more thoroughly later, but that is what he is talking about here. He says that just as they heard good news about entering into God's earthly rest, we have heard the good news of entering into God's eternal rest by having eternal life through Jesus Christ. But, and he makes a very clear contrast here that is going to be one of our kind of first warnings, our first tools that we're going to have to examine our salvation. He says that the word that was heard by those Israelites did not profit them because they weren't united with faith with those who also heard. So the thing here is that they were, they were just as aware of who God was. They were, they were following the Sabbath. They were doing the right things. They were marching where God told them to march. They were following the pillar of fire and the pillar of wind. 
they were doing all the right stuff. They knew precisely who God was. They saw all the ways that God had come through for them and, and had great victories because it's God. Of course he did. The problem was not their knowledge, their understanding, their experiences. The problem is that despite all that they saw and understood, they did not have faith. And we need to be very clear about what faith means. It's, this is not the, the dig down part of this, this message, but a lot of times we say, oh, I just I have to have faith or I'm saved by faith. And we don't know what that means, right? It's this kind of emotional, touchy-feely kind of term. Um, even atheist uh, uh, advertisers, you know, they talk about you know, faith and joy and all that and just kind of throw these words out here. So when I'm talking about faith, is the same way that I believe God's word is talking about faith. And we can just replace faith with trust. That's the easiest way to handle it. When the Bible talks about faith, when you are saved by faith, you are saved by trust. These Israelites, right, they had all the right knowledge, but they did not trust. They did not trust God to do what he said. They did not trust God enough to obey the things that he told them to do. And so that is an issue that we need to examine tonight is no matter how much we know, no matter how much we do, are we trusting because that is the clear divider between Israel that he's painting and therefore what we need to pay attention to today. Moving on to verse three, we're just gonna look at the first part of it. It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. Now, again, I'm trying not to get too nitty gritty into Bible uh, translation, but um, uh, as I was studying for this, as I was reading the different commentators, a lot of people would agree that saying we who have believed is a bit problematic because what that's saying is that that thing we did months ago, weeks ago, hours ago, that's the thing that's saving us, right? That's what that, that past tense believed makes us think. Um, the better way with the, the original Greek, the better way to think of it is to say for we who believe enter that rest. Now, why does that matter? Um, my, uh, my good friend Chris Lenore um, at High Point Church, when he preached Hebrews 4, he, he pointed something out that is going to stick with me forever. And what he pointed out, and what we need to see, is that the writer of Hebrews, and really anyone in the New Testament, when they are talking about, are you truly saved? Are you truly going to, can you truly call yourself a Christian? They never call someone back to what they did once at an altar call or at Bible camp or when they were just emotionally broken down and pulled over in the side of the road in their car and they called out to Jesus. He never calls them to look at the date that they wrote in the front of their Bible. It is always a present tense. What are you believing now? And that is what this writer is pointing out is it's not just because you believe that thing one time, that's what you hold on to. What you need to examine, what we need to examine tonight is what are you currently believing? Are you believing the things that a follower of Jesus Christ ought to believe? Or are you holding on to an emotional experience you had once because you don't want to dig deeper and wonder if maybe, just maybe, you did not truly trust then and are not truly trusting now? Now, the reason that I point that out is because this is very much in line with what the writer said again last week. Uh, so he says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If we are truly trusting in Christ, that belief is not just a one and done thing where we then go off and live like the rest of the world. It is something that propels us forward. That belief becomes core to who we are. Is that true of us tonight? Uh, then in Hebrews 4, 3 through 5, he's just going to clarify what he means by rest because that is a loaded term, especially for Jews. 
So he goes on to say, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken somewhere in this way concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So here the writer is just pointing out that when Israel thought about rest, they may have thought about God's rest at the end of the seventh day of creation, right? God made everything and then he rested. And that was that weekly Sabbath that the Jews took on Saturdays to observe that rest that God had commanded them to do. And the writer here is saying, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, he then goes on and he says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them failed to enter it because of disobedience, he again determines a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been, been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, the writer here, he is reinforcing his primary point in this passage. There are those who heard the good news. They thought that they were part of this Israel who was going to be going into this promised land, but they could not enter it. Why? Not because they weren't good enough, purely and solely because of their disobedience. They were not actively trusting the things that God said. And then he goes on to say, I'm not talking though just about entering into the promised land. He's saying that today there is still a chance. So this rest he's talking about is also not this physical um, th this physical rest that they were supposed to get in the land. He is saying that today you need to examine yourself because today there is still time to enter into the rest that God has promised us. And again, he is saying it to his audience and we need to hear that too. Today, if the things that we talk about, whether in the, in the lesson or in the small groups after, if today you are hearing God drawing you to himself and you are hearing the Holy Spirit reveal to you that you, just, you are not honestly trusting Remember that today is that day to do it. You don't know how many more days you have after this, but you know that you have this moment while you are still alive to trust. Continuing on, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Again, reinforcing, he's not talking about the rest that God had promised Joshua when God had Joshua lead the, the, uh, new, the new breed of Israel, if you will, right? The, the children of those who disobeyed. He's not talking about the rest that he gave them where they entered into the promised land. That was a picture, that was a shadow of something much bigger. And here the writer is revealing to us what Canaan, part of what, what that was meant to represent is the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. And we have to realize that's available to us today. The Lord has not returned. We are still here living and breathing. There is still time to turn to the Lord, but we don't know how much time. You don't know how much time you have. We as a world don't know how much time we have before the Lord returns. And it's important for us to realize that again, this rest, just like for the, the church hearing this, this was not a rest in a worldly sense where God's going to restore you as a nation of Israel. He's going to make you powerful and he's going to set the, the king on the throne of David again. That's not what he was talking about. He wasn't talking to them about an earthly rest. He's not talking to us about an earthly rest. The promise that Jesus Christ offers you is not a better life. It's not just overcoming your addiction so you can be a better uh, a parent, be a better spouse, just be a better person in general. That is a worldly mentality. And God offers you so much more than just a better life today if you are trusting Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 4.11 is going to uh, kind of cap us off on uh, the warnings that we need to look at. So it says, 
therefore, again, what's the therefore, therefore? Because of what we've talked about for the last 20 minutes in this class. Because Israel missed because of disobedience. Because we can miss because of disobedience. Don't make assumptions. Don't miss your opportunity. Because today is the day. Therefore, let us be diligent. Not lazy, not hopeful. Be diligent, be active, be nonstop to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. This is our call to examine our salvation tonight. What is it that you are truly believing? Are you truly trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Are you trusting him part of the way for your salvation? Are you just trusting in your own good works and you're hoping that Jesus can just be a cheerleader or someone to just make you feel better about yourself or give you some some really wise words to live by? What you trust in matters. Knowing stuff means nothing. Being part of, of God's chosen people didn't matter for them. No one here has any better hope for anything outside of Jesus Christ. So we need to check our salvation. We need to examine it. We need to pick it apart. We need to look at it closely, not to just be in constant fear and, for, and wringing our hands and saying, oh, I don't feel saved, I don't feel saved. That's not my point. My point is not to make you doubt. My point is to give you absolute confidence tonight. Confidence that you truly are saved and will enter God's rest or confidence that no matter what you thought before you entered this room, you are not a follower of Christ. You are not truly trusting him. I want to give you confidence tonight in which side of that you fall on. So before we do that, what we need to understand is that salvation is not based on our past prayers or experience right? I don't care how much you cried as you knelt down and prayed. I don't care if you felt nothing at all and it just felt very casual to you. It does not matter how you felt or what you remember about that moment. That is not what guarantees your salvation. Getting ahead. Uh, It's also not how you feel now. You know, a lot of times I talk to people and they just, they don't feel saved right now. And so maybe they're not a Christian because in this moment they don't feel saved. Salvation's not emotional, right? We We can't just ride that emotional high, We're human beings. We have ups and downs. Our emotions are not good thermometers for what's truly going on inside of us. Uh, It's also not about your changed life. You know, it's not about, I know I'm a Christian because I stopped drinking. Atheists can stop drinking. I know I'm a Christian because I don't get angry anymore. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have to get angry all the time, right? So just because your life has changed does not mean that that change is a result of your salvation, It's not about your good deeds. We'll get into that very thoroughly in a moment. And it's also not about doing Christian stuff. Uh, I've shared in the past, you know, my testimony is basically, I thought I was a Christian because I was doing all the right Christian things. I see that Christians go to church, I went to church. Christians read their Bible, I said I read my Bible. Christians pray, I prayed at dinner times, right? I did all the Christian stuff. I was a very good Christian boy. It's hard to look at me now. You, you know, I look so rebellious and tough, but back then I was a very sweet, innocent Christian young man who was not a Christian. I did all the Christian stuff, but that did not make me a Christian. It does not make you a Christian here today. So if all these things, if this stuff that we rely on to tell us that we're saved doesn't tell us, if we can't trust our experiences, our emotions, the date in our Bible, If it's not because of our changed life, how do we know if we are truly saved? Well, I think the writer of Hebrews anticipated that question because he goes on to clarify it for us. So let me me back up because, again, get that lead in. 
So let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How do we, what, what do we use to measure our salvation? How do we know? It tells us right here, the word of God. Why the word of God? Look at what I've bolded there in the middle. Because the word of God is able to judge our thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It doesn't examine our actions and says, did you tick enough boxes today? It's not about the things that we even say to ourselves. It's not about our self-motivation. What the word of God reveals is what it is that we truly trust, the things that we truly believe, why it is that we do what we do. It's not about going to church. Why do you go to church? It's not about stopping doing drugs. Why did you stop doing drugs? The word of God reveals to us what we're trusting and therefore why we do what it is that we do. And this matters because as it goes on, it says, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have an account to give. We can lie to ourselves for our entire life. I spent eight years lying to myself about my own salvation. Many of you here may be lying to yourself about your salvation today thinking, oh, I, you know, I do the right things, I feel saved, people say I'm saved, I can remember my moment of salvation. We can rely on all kinds of stuff to feel saved, but at the end of days, we are all going to stand before the Lord. And if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to stand before God. He is going to look at every single thing you've done and judge you for it. Now, we'll talk about what that means in a moment, but realize that you can feel better about yourself today. You can try to hide from the difficult discussion or the difficult thoughts or refusing to examine yourself today. And that might get you through tonight. It might get you through the rest of your life. But God's not going to be fooled. God will see who you truly are, and you'll be judged according to that. And no matter how awesome some of you are, none of you want to be judged according to who you truly are. So let's cap this off. What does God's word say we must understand about salvation? Now, I know there's some note takers here. I'm not going to fly through these, but if you miss um, a reference, if you miss a point, I will have a slide at the very end that you can snap a picture or, or whatever. So don't get mad at me and tell me to slow down if, if you aren't keeping up. So the first thing we need to understand is that God created us for himself. We see this very uh, early um, in, the, in Genesis in the creation account. God created man in his own image. And later on, it goes on to say, and he saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. So God made Adam and Eve and God interacted with him, them in the way that God wants to interact with humanity. He had a personal, intimate relationship with them. He walked with them in the garden. And that's what God wants with us. God wants to have a relationship with us. God loves us. We are his creation. God didn't make us because he lacked something. God didn't make us because he was lonely and needed people or, or because he was bored and needed servants to just you know, run around and serve him. God is perfect. God has never lacked anything and never will lack anything. And yet despite that, despite God not needing us, he wanted us. He wants us today. But the problem, of course, is that our sins separate us, right? Our sins, our desire to break his law, fractures that relationship that God has created us to have with him. We see this in Romans uh, 16, 23, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that we get for the work we put in, right? You put in eight hours of work, you deserve eight hours of wages. 
the payment that we get for sin, the payment that we get for pursuing our desires, for seeking substances, relationships, whatever, for satisfaction, the payment that we get for breaking God's laws, for, for lusting, for getting angry, is death. Now, not an immediate death sentence, but a permanent separation from a relationship with God. Just like Adam and Eve had back then, where they were separated from God, not physically because God is everywhere, but that relationship was fractured because of their sin. And all of us here without Christ find ourselves in the exact same situation. Uh, This alienation or this separation is further clarified in Colossians 1.21. And although you were formerly alienated in enemies in mind and in evil deeds. So again, our minds, the things that we think about, the things that we believe, the things that we trust are what separate us from God. Those evil deeds that we do come from what it is we're believing. Everything, every single one of our actions comes from what's truly inside of our hearts. And those are the things that separate us from God. So everyone here right now has at one point been separated from God. Without Jesus Christ, we have no hope. And we have to understand this because not only do our good deeds just break our relationship, which, oh no, God's mad at me, what's he gonna do? Those evil deeds, those sins, that law-breaking must be punished. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. Now this is not Christian karma, do good, get good out, do bad, get bad out. What this is saying is that if you are doing evil, you are going to pay for that evil at the end of your life. We talked previously, right? You are going to stand before God and he is going to judge everything that you planted on this earth. Every evil thing that you did, you're going to be held accountable for. That, that little, you know, you know, flipping the guy off in traffic may have seemed like nothing to you, but to God, that's death. That's law-breaking. And why this matters, and why I say this isn't Christian karma, where, oh, you know, maybe if I sow enough good, I can get enough, you know, I can overcome my bad. God's word never paints God as a tax accountant. God is always a judge. God is not sitting there weighing the good, weighing the bad, and saying, oh, oh, the, the sales are looking pretty good today, and oh, oh, no, they, they uh, have taxes coming up, and so now they're getting angry all the time. God never is portrayed as someone just checking and seeing if at the end of life your scale's clear. He is a judge. And what does a good judge do? He does not care about who the person is that stands before him. A good judge does not look at a criminal and say, well, you, you murdered this family, you robbed this bank, uh, but you know, I see that you volunteered at the, at the, uh, the soup kitchen and you walked your neighbor's dog every once in a while. And, and a good judge doesn't do that, right? When we see that a judge lets someone off who has clearly broken the law because of who they are, whether it's their fame, whether it's you know, for whatever reason, We know that judge is corrupt. We know that judge is wicked. Why? Because he did not do justice fairly. But God is a perfect judge. He will do justice fairly. God does not care how much good you do. He cares about the one bad you do. One bad is enough to send you to hell today and then the lake of fire forever. And we see this, Matthew 25, 46. Jesus Christ says, and these, these disobedient ones, will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. What we believe matters because what we believe determines where we are going. Now, we can't fix this problem with our good deeds. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
Again, God's not looking at your church attendance. He's not looking at you to do some kind of behavior modification like is so popular in modern psychology. It's not about being a better spouse or parent or person. It's not about feeling better. It's not about quitting those bad behaviors on its own as though if you can quit, then you can prove your righteousness. No. Because like I said, my testimony was I assumed that if I did Christian things that made me a Christian, but that's not how it works. Yes, Christians do good things, but doing good things does not make you a Christian. And we have to find that line. We have to understand that difference if we have any hope of even caring about what it is that we're putting our trust in. Now, what we do have to trust in is that Jesus Christ took judgment in our place. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. All of us here are the unrighteous. So that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus Christ, the whole reason he came wasn't to be a good guy, be a good teacher, to help us out out of our, you know, our bad days. Jesus Christ came to take your place under God's wrath. Jesus Christ came. He took your criminal record with all the law breaking that had been accumulated. He erased our name from it and he put his. And he said, Father, punish me for every single thing that they have done. Punish me so that there is no punishment left for them. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that's what you're putting your trust in. That he is able to save you because of what he did on that cross. Now, all who do trust in Jesus will be forgiven and saved. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness for our transgressions. Transgressions is that law breaking, that sin. According to the riches of his grace. It is only through Jesus Christ that we have any hope. Our good deeds don't do something to help. We don't say, oh, you know, I'll turn to Christ once I've, once I've cleaned up my life a little bit, then I'll start trying out Jesus. That's not what Christ calls us to. That's not why Christ came to earth. That's not why he died on that cross. That's not what he's calling you today. What we have to examine is, am I truly trusting in Jesus Christ alone from the moment that I asked him to save me all the way through to today? Is that truly what I am believing and putting my trust in? That he alone is what saves me. That what he did on the cross and taking my place under God's wrath, that that is what saves me. Are we, and if we are, are we, have we truly repented of that sin that, put, that placed Christ there in the first place? Because repentance isn't this, it's not this weird thing. We always say, you know, repent and believe. What does that mean? Repentance ultimately, and like David talked about last week, right? It's a change of mind. It's saying, this is what I was trusting in for my hope. This is what I trusted in for my identity. This is what I hoped in for my salvation. Now I see better. Now I turn to Christ. Not I change my behavior. I do better. I, I act better to prove to God that I can do it. But I stop trying to find satisfaction in myself. I stop trying to do things to save myself. I stop just rejecting this, this nagging feeling that I have, wondering if I'm even truly saved. We reject all of that and we turn to Christ and trust in him for our salvation. Amen. And again, when we talk about uh, putting our trust in Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, once again, but I bolded basically the opposite text this time. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, what does faith mean? Trust. You have been saved through trust. Trust in what? Jesus Christ, not your good works. Jesus Christ, not your church attendance. Jesus Christ, plus nothing else. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift 
of God. There's a reason it's called a gift. It's not a wage, right? The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. But the payment for good works is not salvation, right? Salvation is a gift. It is freely given with no requirement on your part to do anything to earn it and to do nothing to keep it. God gives it and God does not take it away to those who are truly trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, to end this off, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will enter God's rest in the future. I told you Hebrews 4.11 was kind of a really good call to our warning. Therefore, let us be diligent. Let us not rest. Let us not make assumptions. Let us not take for granted that everyone assumes we're saved, that we've been going to church and we've always felt saved. Instead, let us be diligent to enter into that rest. Lest anyone, anyone listening, right? Any pastors, any Christians that have been saved for 40 years, the best Christian you know, all of us need to be diligent lest any of us fall into that same example of disobedience that Israel did, where the only thing that kept them out of the goodness of God was their own unbelief of who God was and what he said to do. If you are truly believing that God calls to you not to be a good person, not to change your life, not to you know, hope that your scales balance out at the end of life, but if you truly believe that God is calling you to put your full 100% complete faith, trust in Jesus Christ, then do it. Do it because God promises that he will not reject anyone who comes to him, who truly believes that they need Jesus Christ to save them. And if you do, you will enter into that rest. This rest that we're talking about is eternal life. It's not just a good hangout time in heaven until something else comes along. It's not just, you know, going to darkness instead of going to hell. It is absolute eternal life. Eternal life in heaven. And then when Christ comes and returns, he will resurrect us into what are called glorified bodies, perfect bodies that won't decay, that won't feel pain. Praise God, they won't feel pain. And we will live with Jesus Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth as he comes and reigns in a perfect universe without sin. And we will not be tempted to sin, praise God. Now, if you're here tonight though, and you've examined yourself, or you examined yourself on the drive here, and everything I'm saying to you is just in one ear and out the other, we're not off the hook either, right? I told you, I had to really examine myself because I don't want to get up here and say, hey, examine yourself while I'm sitting there just making assumptions, right? So I had to examine myself. You all need to examine yourself. And if you find that you are confident after examining yourself, that you truly are trusting in Jesus Christ, what's next for you is you, you get to enter into eternal life, but today you also get to live for Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you're confident in your salvation tonight, this is what God is calling you to. Tonight, tomorrow, every day for the rest of your existence on earth because this is what God is calling you to for all eternity. You are to live a life that serves Jesus Christ, to do the things that please him and to reject the things that he hates. Whatever you're trusting in tonight as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ to bring you satisfaction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, uh, you know, bad relationships, making lots of money, whatever struggles you're having, whatever you are pursuing sinfully in your life, Jesus Christ had to die for that. Every time you choose sin over Christ, 
what we ultimately say is, Jesus, I love this so much, I want, I want you to hang on the cross for it. Our identities, everything that we are, everything we desire is found in Jesus Christ alone. That's not a burden. That's not a, a lame life, right? That's not you know, what the world paints as just, oh, you know, loser town. No, this is a joy. It is a privilege. It is what we were created for in the first place. And we only get it by putting our trust in Jesus Christ so that we can have eternity with him in the future, but also have our lives with him, devoted to him today. So like I said, this was a hard message because I am, I'm not just talking to those people who clearly need Jesus. I'm talking to those people who seem to clearly have Jesus. I'm talking to every single person in here, myself included, still, because we never want to take for granted our salvation. We never want to assume that we are safe because of some outside confirmation. The only thing that tells us if we are truly saved is what God's word reveals about what salvation is. I don't care about your emotions. I don't care about your past experiences. I don't care what someone else tells you, whether you are or are not saved. What you trust determines where you are going, where you are right now. So ask yourself, what do you trust in now? If you are not sure, if you are confident that you're not trusting in Christ, what did Hebrews tell us? Today, not tomorrow, not on the drive home, today. You have no guarantee you're even going to make it to the end of my prayer at the end of this lesson. You have no guarantee you're going to make it to the end of small groups. Not a single person here can say, yeah, I'll do it later. I'm confident that I have such power and control over my life and the circumstances around me that I can put it off until I'm good and ready. Today is the time. It may be your only time. Take this seriously. Every single person here, please take it seriously because this matters more than anything else in the entire eternity that you will live is what you trust today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 